Without Liquor. Welcome to this episode of Laughing Without Liquor, a woman's guide to living it up without the booze. Join your long-term recovery hosts, Lane Kennedy and Tamar Medford, as they have insightful conversations with others on an alcohol-free journey. We're glad you're here. Now let's dive into this episode. Okay, let's get into the show. Uh, Tamar, you know what? We're here today. I'm super stoked because we have a guest. Yeah, we do. We have a, a, a hot fire guest, Eric Nance. Yes, Eric Nance. Uh, he is a licensed mental health therapist who specializes in adult services. I like that it's adult services. You know, recently I tried to find a therapist for my son, and there are not a lot of children uh, therapists. You could make a lot of money, I'm quite sure, if you went into that. <laughs> Eric, uh, his approach is to promote the clients. Uh, he wants them to solve their own problems with the right blend of support and problem-solving skills, which I'm all about skills. I love that. Eric has conducted trainings on numerous topics to varied audience. Topics have included personality disorder treatment, whoa, non-suicidal and self-injury, very important crisis intervention and empowering new mental health clinicians and recent psychology social work graduates so he's really all up in it and he has a fantastic podcast called the dark side of therapy eric welcome to the show thank you what a what a generous introduction thank thank you both i um when I hear all that stuff, I'm reminded how old I am because um, <laughs> I, I've been in the field 28 years now. I'm 47, and you you, you can't have all that stuff in your background mm-hmm. without being older. I, I trimmed my beard today. I said I wasn't I wasn't this gray when I started. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's so it's so true. You can't have that kind of a uh, a resume. Uh, you can't have that kind of experience without living and going through That's it. True. And having the, you just have to do it, right? It's like you're building, you're building. Yeah. And and I feel like, you know, there there was a point where, because I've been mentored by a lot of people, I've mentored a lot of people, but I always thought at what point can I sort of proclaim to have some expertise? You know, what does it take? I'm I'm pretty sure now because I've spent so many hours in this chair, well, Mm -hmm. not this chair, but a lot of different chairs. And, and I, I think I've been able to formulate some things that make a lot of sense to me, but it, it takes a long time. I, I think the first 10 years of mental health or social service working in this field, you don't know much, mm-hmm. but you add another decade to that, you start seeing some patterns and some trends. And and that's really why I'm here to, to share what I see. But I I love the openness of this already. And Lane, when you came on my show, obviously it was just, you know, we got right down to it. So you've created something that's very accessible. And I, I really appreciate that because not everybody can do that. It's a skill. It is. It's a skill. Yeah. So I thank you for that. And thanks again for having me on your show. If you haven't Absolutely. listened to that episode, uh, listeners, friends, uh, we're going to link that into the show notes as well, because I, it was a great show. It was a great uh, today show. Today we're talking, yeah, today we're talking about mental health and how do we find services? How do we find what's right for us? And when we connected, I can, you know, like we connected immediately, just your vivaciousness, your spirit, just your, you embody, um, someone beyond a therapist, right? Like I, I want you in my corner if I'm going up against myself, because you just kind of have this, like, we're going to get through it together attitude. 
you know? And I I don't know if every therapist has that. Actually, I do have experience of not having that. (laughs) I walk into, I've walked into therapy and, and they've just, it's been cold, cold, very cold. Tamar, cold therapy over there. We have some cold therapy as well. And it it just, Mm -hmm. nothing about that experience makes me want to actually open up and be vulnerable because it's Mm -hmm. like, who am I talking to here? Right. And Eric, thank you for being this warm personality because I feel like when we jumped on this call, like it was this connection and, you know, you want to spill your guts out. Absolutely. You're good Uh, like that. Well, part of the problem, I think, is that we we have... I don't want to say polluted mental health, but I'll go ahead and say it. Everything has become so technique driven. Okay. Everything is about your DBT, your CBT, your trauma work, your, your all this, this different stuff. And, and to your point, we're really not focusing on the connection anymore. And, and I, and I don't think we do a great job holding people accountable. And that's why I'm not always a popular therapist because you're going to come and see me and you're going to tell me I have all these problems. Okay. And, I, and I'm going to say, what are you going to do about it? Mm. And people don't always like that because mm-hmm. they want something so quick and so easy. And I'm not the therapist for that. But if you want to work hard and you want to go on this journey with me, oh, there's nothing that we can do. But if you tell me your meds aren't working, I'm I'm going to ask you, well, what are they supposed to be doing? Changing your life? <laughs> and so I do take sort of a hard edge approach on that because I think Pete, I think I think people are sold one story and then there's a different outcome. Medication has become like the new slim fast. It's let's make these promises, but do people's lives really change that extraordinarily? And, and I would argue, no, you've got to do the work. And so that's, I, and perhaps that makes me old school. Fine. I tell everybody up front and yeah. And I make no apologies for that. And you should not, you should not because you're in the business of helping people get better not helping them stay stuck and yes. sick, right? And I think there's something you, you said, uh, you're old school. So I'm going to just jump into the pool a little bit here and talk about this pool that this, uh, we're using apps now. Mm-hmm. You know, people right. can get on an app and they can start texting with somebody in the mental health space. Now, I'm not ready to you know, go thumbs down on this, Eric, but I am interested in, you know, is this the approach that we need to be taking right now? Do we just give people apps or do we need to find solutions to build communities of people, perhaps Uh, group therapy perhaps should grow where people are interacting and actually talking to one another. What do you think about apps? Um, I, I think the technology has been extremely harmful. And I just read a research study. I, I can't quote it right now, but te- teenagers are more depressed than they've ever been, I think, in recorded history. And mm-hmm. there's been a lot of research devoted to the apps and, and our Facebook and Instagram, all this other junk. And, and I think it, it's, it's not even a suggestion anymore. It's completely correlated that the more time we spend doing this stuff, because think about this. When we were all growing up, we had face-to-face contact with people, mm-hmm. okay? I don't know why this is so hard for people to understand. I mean, it's almost like we are so ignorant of the fact we've taken away a very basic human need. And it starts when kids are very young. I mean, kids are are literally developing differently than they used to. Now, why doesn't that research get out there? Because it's not popular. 
It's not popular at all. So we we get the research that's popular. And any research that says technology is bad is not going to be widespread. You're going to have to search for it. But you want to get really controversial? I read an article a couple of years ago about the fact that maybe autism is not really autism. Maybe it's just kids whose brains are developing in such a way that what is being compromised is um, their ability to connect and relate because, again, they grow up in a virtual world. Now, that's not very popular. I'll probably get hate mail. Sorry. But there are theories out there to support this. But that doesn't sound as good as saying that's a developmental disorder. It's this or that. And it really comes back to, yeah, when do we start taking ownership? So, Lane, that's a very big answer to your question. No, I think the apps are not a good thing collectively um, because they're, they're, they're going to be overused and they're going to become a substitute for this very thing that we're talking about, which is connection. Yes, we need more connection, Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But how do uh, we And I'm not sure that? how to get us back. Go ahead, yeah, please. Yeah. Like, how do we create more connection with people? Because people are not just saying, okay, I need help and I'm ready and let's go snuggle up. Yeah, they, they just don't, right? I, and I see it. Um, no, but, it's, but isn't it great when you do snuggle with somebody or hug somebody? Yes. I love hugs. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. I love a hug. I do because it doesn't cost anything and, and it just feels good. There's a whole new concept. Let, let's have hug day. You know. I like it. I like it too. I think we could promote something I, like that. Hug day. Yeah. I mean, you're from San Francisco. You you love each other out there, right? <laughs> major. There's a major loving going on out here. I'm all for is. a hug day. <laughs> yeah. So I, if, I, if we have ahead, too yeah. many... Uh, Okay, so we have a mental uh, health uh, problem right now. You know, this yep. is becoming, uh, I think the stat is 19, like almost 20% of adults are experiencing some kind of mental illness. And, Sounds about right. Which is just, wow. And one in, one in 10 men experience depression or anxiety. And mm. half of them, less than half will receive treatment. And more than four times as many men as women die by suicide. Right. Okay. Uh, I only know this because I'm doing a presentation and I'm doing a, um, an event later in the year about men suffer too. And how there is a crisis that we are all sitting on. So how do we find help? How do we go out into the world and create hug day? Uh, you know, this, our show is laughing without liquor. Like we need to be laughing and creating, uh, lives that are healthy and fantastic. And, but when we're stuck in that depressing place and suicide right. becomes an option, right. how do we get out of that? How do we, how do we take a left turn to start making change, Eric? Well, here, here's my theory. I, I, I just actually presented down in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago. It was wonderful. I, I, I told people, stop using the word self-care. It doesn't mean anything anymore, but we'll come back to that mm -hmm. in a second. Um, I, I started to realize the word I like to use is permission. If you give people permission to do things, they will do it. And that may sound strange because we're all adults here, but a lot of adults forget that they can still play. Okay. 
I, I forgot the research study, but it's something like after age 12, only like 10% of people play after that. I'm thinking I'm not in that 10% because I play every day. But if you give people permission to play and have fun, they will do it. The problem is, is that I think adults don't get permission to, to do those things. So you have to come to somebody like me that says, of course you can play. Of course you can have fun. Let's put something together. But most adults don't know how to do it in my experience. They're like, play? I gave that up years ago. But nothing creates energy more than play does. Nothing. And again, getting back to the simple, I, I, I wrote some notes on the simple today. This is the easiest inter mental health intervention to implement. It's just having fun. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, if there's a research study out there that compares antidepressants with fun, fun will win out every time. I, yes. I, I would stake my license on that. Okay. My, my cousin and I, uh, he's a big nerd like me. We're going to go to San Diego Comic Con next year. Yes. He's, he, he's, he's going to be 50, but it's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? But that's the kind of stuff I think we, we have to do. And some of that also means reconnecting with yourself as a child and being childish. Th think about that as an intervention, being childish. Mm -hmm. I'm going to agree with you on this 100%. I don't think anybody's studying fun. No. <laughs> if they are and they're listening, I please reach out. <laughs> but... This idea, I started taking a class uh, in two months ago. I started taking the class. It's called the class. And the teachers literally bring in the word, we are playing. We are having fun. We are. Mm -hmm. So they're actually training us. And it's women predominantly who are taking right. these, the class, the movement classes. But it's threaded through. So now I don't see this as an exercise class right? I see it as, oh, I'm going to go play. I get to go play for an hour and I get really excited about it. That's awesome. And it's changed my, again, it's changed my thinking around being, you know, working out, oh, dread, I don't want to do that. But it's, right. it's helped me again, back to your statement about permission. It's I'm, yeah. they've given me permission to have fun. I love that. With exercise. Yeah. So, so you've you've drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak. I did. Hundred <laughs> percent I'm in. Hundred percent fun Kool-Aid. Uh yeah. And you know what? It's not gonna cost you anything. No. No. I'm telling you, I I'm surprised more people don't capitalize on the money to be made here because we all group think anyway, but if you get ten adults in a group playing silent ball or even, you know, just throwing something around, they're all gonna do it. Uh right. hello, intervention. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm getting from you is play, more play, more fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's yeah. where we need to start moving collectively, but, but, the hive mind. But collectively. Mm -hmm. but, but, but not looking at it as um, an adjunct to something, looking at it as a primary way of living your life. I'll say mm -hmm. that again, a primary way of living your life. I, I was raised in such a way where I was allowed to play. I think my mom, bless your heart, knew I was a little off. And so I, I got into sci-fi and all this other stuff that's really fun. But I know adults I work with that never got to have that. They they never got to have that, that form of expression 
where they got to, um, you know, think about like the circus in your brain. I used to have a, a, a radio back in the day, 1984. Uh, I always remember that year because Ghostbusters came out and I would listen to like different radio shows and it would be all this imagery in your brain. It was so fun. And I even today, I still think about that. I tend to think in a movie kind of way. So when I read books or I listen to stuff, it's like a movie going kind of weird. I know, but it's really me just playing and and. When 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 people don't get that, it is tough to introduce it to them, but it can happen. I, I had a mom one time, probably 10 years ago in therapy. She brought her daughter in. She's about six. And I just started doing this British accent with the kid. I was like, hey, tea and crumpets today. And, and the kid loved it. And I could see the mom was almost paralyzed. Like, you can <laughs> you can do that? I'm like, yeah. Ah. yeah. And she was so impressed that I just played with her kid in a way that she never had. I'll never forget that. I mean, it was awesome. And that kid's not going to forget that, right? Correct. With a good Correct. experience of going to therapy or going having, right. you know. Oh, that's such a great idea. Play, Tamar. I love to play. I mean, I, I love to, to plan games nights. And I kind of feel, you know, I was thinking about what you were saying is that, you know, my parents raised us, you know, as Gen Xers to work hard. Right. And I feel like this whole generational path and it's shifting now where, you know, kids are actually like, no, I'm going to do what I want. You know, I'm going to go after what I'm passionate about. But I feel like us as Gen Xers are we have that like work hard, make money, be busy. Right. We we I used to wear that as a badge of honor and therefore putting play aside. But now after doing the work, I see that, you know, there's no quick fixes. And I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, uh, getting sober, for example, we help women learn to laugh again after they've gotten sober. But you see so many people struggling because they're not willing to do the work. They want to take a magic pill that right. keeps them sober and they're going to have this magical life. And that's why right. I love what you're doing because it's like, no, I'm going to teach you how to fix your own problems, right? And Absolutely. that's what I love about what, what Lane and I are doing is we help people learn how to laugh again. Yeah. And because we like to play. I mean, when, you know, uh, when we meet up in person, it's just Forget like, it. let's go do all this it's fun stuff. 24-7, exactly. the whole week. I'm that's exhausted awesome. when she's here. Yeah. <laughs> I need a vacation <laughs> afterwards. I'm like, okay, good. Tomorrow's going. It's a good exhaustion, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Tomorrow, I'm sorry, where are you located? I'm in Vancouver, Canada. I, okay, so we're all worlds apart, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty okay. great. The, the miracle of being great. able to do it like this. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, am I mistaken? There's the alcoholics paradox. You didn't create the problem, but it's your job to solve it. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but I, I believe that's, is that fairly close? It's pretty close, I think. Yeah, it's my job yeah. to fix it, yeah. change it. Right. Yeah, I'm riddled with it, but I need to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like I like that we're talking about accountability. It's 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 such a it, it's such a difficult concept because it means you have to do the work. And mm -hmm. you know, Jordan Peterson, love him or hate him, he's kind of a polarizing figure. He's from Canada. I'm sure you've heard of him. And uh, I I don't like a lot of what he says, but one thing I do agree with, he says, you know, if there's nothing for you to do then there's nothing for you to do because he does make the argument that you've got to be the one to take charge. And I at least like that because very few people, again, are going to say that. It is about taking action with your life and however that looks. 
Absolutely. You know, I, f- I find that so many people just kind of get stuck in that loop and they cannot bust out of it. And you said earlier, you know, the self-care. Yeah. You're, you're like, no, no self-care, no more. <laughs> That's yeah. what I was taking from your commentary. You yeah. know, how did we find ourselves uh, in this place with it's all about self-care, it's all about self-care, but it's it's it doesn't really... Like I laugh when people are like, oh, I'm going and getting a massage because it's self-care day. And I'm like, you got to have more than that. It's a massage is not enough. No, I I agree. Well, and I I really thought I was going to piss off the audience because I said uh, all self-care means anymore is hot rock treatments and hot baths. I mean, that's just, yeah. Um. What, what I've done and everything I do is borrowed from somebody and then kind of morphed into mm. a way that I think mm-hmm. I can make it accessible, but you have to compete. And so what I propose is a competition model when it comes to uh, the energy you lose doing this work. And we're all in the same profession, more or less. We lose a lot of energy working with people. Okay. Yeah. People are tough. You, you don't hear that very yeah. often, but people are exhausting. I know I'm exhausting. But I think we have to acknowledge that we stop. We have to stop promoting the profession as this wonderful. Let's walk through the uh, tulips. It's great all the time. No, no, it's not. If it was great all the time, why are less and less people coming into this field? It's not great all the time. Yeah. But I think, again, we're, we're, we're very afraid to say that. So what I propose is what's going to compete with the energy you're, you're going to lose in this field? Forget the self-talk. What's going to compete? Getting back to fun and play are two great ways to compete with the energy mm-hmm. you're going to lose. Um, doing the thing. OK, here's a great one. I can solve so many problems right now. Stop putting off the things you need to do. If, if, if you just stop doing that, you know how much energy you get back? Oh, my gosh, just doing my dishes today. It's like, oh, I don't have to think about that anymore. Or getting my taxes finally done, which I put off forever. But once you stop putting off those little things, oh, you feel great. Well, guess what? That's good energy coming back to you. Okay? That's a way to compete with the energy you're going to lose sitting with people all day. But again, it doesn't have a good ring to it like self-care does. (laughs) I know. How do we make, how do we need a new definition? We need a new, I don't I, It's like, well, it's playtime. Lane, maybe that's our project is we have to put together a yeah. whole new lexicon of terms that uh-huh. people can relate to that, that don't BS them and really introduce the, the truth of the work. Cause that's all we're talking about uh, mm-hmm, is the truth mm-hmm. of the work. And, and I'm all about, if we're going to bring people into the field, why not let them know exactly what they're getting into? Mm-hmm. Uh, part of my presentation, I tell people, you know, firefighters, test pilots, cops, these are all jobs where we know they're dangerous because we we just know uh, you don't have to explain it. The danger is proximate. But in social services, the danger is not as proximate. And so it actually becomes a progressive decay of ability and enthusiasm and really just caring. And I think because it's hidden, we don't look at it as a dangerous profession. Oh, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. And again, it needs to be recognized as such. I think this is what will change the field. It's just, can we get people to listen to this? I don't know. They might. It would be really nice. I with the, I heard it. Um, I was listening to a podcast actually a few weeks ago where somebody had said, you know, it's like we all have this cup and we just, it drains over time. 
and we have to do the things that fill it up because we can't function from a completely empty cup. But yet I feel like that's what we're doing. We're sitting at the bottom of that cup and we're just like taught to just push through it and tough it out. Mm -hmm. And really when I think about self-care, it's filling your cup. Right. So that, you know, you can be just better, a better human being and you can have more fun. Because I mean, when I'm tired... I'm not super fun tomorrow. I mean, I can not sometimes fun. pull it out, but <laughs> no. not as much as when that cup is full. Right. Mm-mm. Right. Because the, cause the energy is gone. Yeah. 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 So it's about yeah. um, self-preservation. Yeah. <laughs> Changing it to uh, not self-care, yeah. but self-preservation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I... I love that term. I see a book cover right now that, that, that has that yeah. slapped across it. You know why? Because that that's harder hitting. That sounds mm-hmm. like something's at stake, doesn't it? Self-care mm-hmm. doesn't sound like anything's at stake. You say self-preservation. It's like, oh, I better have some skin oh, in my minute. own game. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. And unfortunately, we live in a Write day and age tomorrow. where you have to surprise people anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. Look, again, you want to co-author a book? I'm all about that, you guys. So, <laughs> yeah, Put that down tomorrow. It's another project for us. Yeah, we'll add yeah, it to the it, list, Eric. I know. But, I'm, I'm you sure know, you guys are well in the... Yeah, go ahead. I want to mention something. I feel as though, you know, doing what you do and being the type of therapist you are, it almost... Is it fair to say you almost weed out the people who are actually serious about getting help? Because mm. I know that when I first wanted to get sober, I heard a lot of things I didn't want to hear, but I was so desperate to change that I needed to hear that stuff. And I feel like, you know, because I said everybody wants the magic pill that's going to make you feel better. Some people do go to therapy just so that they can get that pill. Whereas mm-hmm. your approach, I love it because you're like, okay, I'm going to help you be able to make the changes you, that you'd like. And some people don't want that. People don't want that. So you kind of almost filter those people away and get mm-hmm. the serious ones. Well, I want to go back to the other word you use, which is weed out, because that took some guts to ask that. <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> um, the, re- the reason why I'm laughing is because it's such a liberating question to answer. The And the, and the answer is yes. I... I had a client about three, four months ago who would come to session and it was like it was my job to remind them why they were there. Mm. And I finally just said to this person, it's not my job to remind you why you're here. Okay, this is your responsibility. Ultimately, we got things on track. But uh, I think that's a big part of it is that I'm not here to fix you. And, and, And again, I think this is the big lie that's been perpetuated. You go to therapy and you're going to get a product. You're not going to have to work for something, but you're going to get a product. And I think people get really disappointed with that because look at how quickly their other needs are met. Okay. So quickly. You can go to a doctor and get a pill just like that. Doesn't want to know your history. Doesn't even care. Therapy doesn't work like that because you're talking about a transformative thing. Okay. Uh, Most people, I'm going to say most. Okay. I do not believe are that pathologically uh, damaged. I don't think their brains are that out of whack. I think a lot of times people get themselves into messes. They don't know how to get out. And they sort of determine, I'm just going to exist in the mess and try to numb it the best I can. And, and, I, and I'm sorry, I just don't think that's a good way to live. Um, I, I, to me, that is tragic. 
But let me argue against my own point, because uh, like I told you last time, Lane, I need to understand the arguments that go against me. Some people, maybe that's all they want is to reduce symptoms. Maybe all they want is to feel a bit better. Okay, I get that. I just may not be your person for that, because I'm going to try to maximize your, your potential as a human being. Mm -hmm. Which probably makes me more of a coach than a therapist in some ways. But I think, what if I can maximize you? I, I mean, and there's so many great ways to do it. But that goes back to the idea again of you're not going to come in and get a product that's going to make you feel better. You're just not. I think we're just living in a society right now where people want that easy fix. They do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about all the easy fixes, you know, Botox, easy fix. My face looks different. Uh, yep. right. Um, to, my son playing a game changes his mood in a matter of two seconds. Right. J just all the things that we now have access to that will change us. Right. But when we look at our mental health and therapy, uh, this is something that is not fixed overnight in two seconds, 10 minutes, right? Because our, our mental health, the way that we see the world, our perception, you know, it's been built for many, many years. So untangling that is going to take maybe many, many years. Um, right. I, I want to shift the conversation a little bit to yeah. here. What do you think about people who are in therapy for 10 years? You know, like mm -hmm. I have, I have friends that have these relationships with their therapist and they're like, this is not going away ever. And right. I'm like, what, right. what, what, aren't you better now? Like, don't like, what? so what, I just right. want to hear from your professional standpoint, like, what do you think about that? Well, yeah. And, and this is a very complex issue because I've had people in therapy for four or five and six years. And I sometimes wonder if that's a good thing. I, I, I think it, it can create dependence, which is, which is not a good thing. I don't have a good way to solve it, though, because we unfortunately people get attached to their therapist. They do, because if it's a good experience, why would you want to leave that? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it, it becomes very difficult. I, I think 10 or 20 years is a bit excessive. But in some cases, you need to be in therapy for five years to do the untangling that you're talking about. Yeah. What I try to do much better these days is in the beginning of therapy, say this is not going to last forever. And before mm -hmm. I didn't do that. Uh, so you're setting them up for success right there. Correct. Where I don't think therapists are doing that. Oh, I don't think so either, Lane. And and the way every online company is, is now tragedy. capitalizing on therapy, which also right. I could bitch about for a while. Um, I don't think they do take these things into consideration. You know, codependence or, or dependence is such a huge issue. And you're dealing with vulnerable people in a world now where we don't connect like we used to. So, of course, you're going to have this overconnection with your therapist in many cases. Mm -hmm. But we're not good at boundaries. You think therapists have good boundaries? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear about this therapy sessions that my friend does. And I, I'm, I'm always what how like that's a little too close for comfort for me like it just yeah it's hard it's it's, 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 it's kind of frightening isn't it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. it's like that relationship is so intimate yeah and yeah. you're as a patient or a client so vulnerable and I th it's the professional the therapist's job to keep those hard boundaries I think Correct. And I, again, I'm thinking of three, three separate people 
that I've heard their therapy stories around and I don't hear about the boundaries from their therapist. I'm, I'm like, okay, something is not right here. And they've been in um, these long-term relationships with them. I'm like, oh my God. No, Lane, you, yeah. you, you, you bring up a great point, which is, uh, I don't care how good the therapist's mask is either. You're going to reveal things about yourself in, in that amount of time with somebody. And unfortunately, if, if you're with somebody that really struggles with, you know, severe persistent mental illness, they can go on the attack and they, and they've kind of got you. And so mm. the boundaries in the beginning, yeah, I cannot tell you how important those are. Have I always said them? No, no. So again, I see, I can't answer anything simply, can I? My gosh, to get back to your great. question, <laughs> I think we do the client a disservice if we keep them in therapy for too long, because then we take away the skills that they could be using, the, the relationships. But Lane, no one teaches us in grad school how to effectively deal with this. I guarantee it. I guarantee no one's teaching this stuff. You know why? Because nobody knows, because they're going to say every client's different, which we hear mm. all the time. I, I just can't wrap my head around having a therapist for five, 10, 20 years. I just, because I want to be able to, uh, stand up on, on my own, right. I want to be able to learn from my therapist, right. learn about myself, be able to make decisions independent, have that autonomy or that agency. And when you're kind of in that relationship with a therapist, I feel like there's some kind of pull to go back and discuss and to make sure and, it goes back to the permission. Like I have to get permission to make a decision about this. No, no. Um, I, I agree com completely. I, it's one of the dark sides. There, there's my little, uh, you know, <laughs> That's right. plug right there of mental health. We don't talk about very much. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. seriously, I don't know if it comes up, uh, uh, hardly ever, you know, how long somebody has been in therapy. Are we doing them a disservice? See therapy and social service is all about nice people. And so I think again, we, we get lost in the, well, we're giving them a safe space to come and all this. No, you're not. You are disempowering this person many times, mm -hmm. but again, it's a very unpopular perspective to have. Yeah, I think that's why the work you're doing is so valuable because it is you're you're teaching these younger therapists how to kind of stand up and tell somebody when they walk in, we're going to get in and out of this. You're not going to be here forever. <laughs> Love that. Absolutely. <laughs> but you're also giving them you're you're giving, you know, your clients uh, the skill set to go out and live their life. You know, just it's so important now a days without an app right? You're in the connection. You're in the business of making connection and making people laugh, which amen. I'm all for it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just, I want to mention something is that my first therapist about 11 years ago, when I actually took therapy serious, she laid out exactly what you said. Like, we're going to be working together for this length of time. Mm -hmm. This is what you want to work through. And we, it also, in a way, it, it caused me to be more accountable and to actually take the action because I knew I was on this timeline. This wasn't going to be a forever, let's go vent and talk about, you know, how terrible my life is. I knew I was in there for a reason. And by putting that on me, I was like, okay, I got to really do the work. And right. she's, you know, we, we stopped working together a long time ago, uh, but she's now a good friend of mine. And I refer people to her all the time mm -hmm. because she got right to it. You know, uh, and she it. helped me a lot. But you bought into what she was saying too, Tamara. You said, okay, I that, did. that sounds good to me. Uh, where some people would say, no, nah, I'll take the blue pill and just hope for the best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, no, that is awesome. I'm 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 impressed the way you tell your therapy story because that tells me you had a good quality therapist who wasn't afraid to hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's we have to step away from protecting the feelings. You know, it's like we just you know they're going to get hurt. They're going to get smashed. They're going to get, you know, torn apart. But if you're working with a professional, that what a great place to go through that. Right? Absolutely. To learn. There's about um, it. something fun. And, and I kind of tell people I'm doing it. But if, if you're going to criticize somebody, because let's face it, a, a, um, a confrontation is a criticism by nature. I use what I call therapeutic Novocaine. I'm going to tell you why you're wonderful first. Like Lane, you're just so wonderful and you're a great client. And then I'll zing you. But what you do is you sort of precondition the frontal lobe here to get ready. Because if you just criticize somebody, they're going to go right to primitive brain. Bam, they're in defense mode. But it's such an easy technique too. So yeah, I criticize people, but I give them some love first. You know, I, I tell them why they're important. And, and, and then you can have a great conversation because you hit them and they're still reeling from the compliment. It's perfect. <laughs> it's a little manipulative, but it happens to a work. Jedi master tool. <laughs> so good, Eric. Uh, um, yeah. So people are going to find you the dark side of therapy, right? You have a mm -hmm. YouTube channel Yeah. and you have your podcast, the dark side of therapy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share with us around finding mental health right now in the day well, and state that we're all in. I, you know, last thing I want to, I want to quote one of the best books I ever read. I don't know if you guys have read it. It's called uh, man's search for meaning written by Victor mm -hmm. Frankl. Okay. And he, he's a Holocaust survivor, Auschwitz, and you're shaking your head. So th this book was so profound to me because here's a guy who's basically saying, let's find purpose in suffering. And that spoke to me in so many ways. I even get emotional because it's such a beautiful concept. And let's and this book was written, I think, in the 60s. No, it was written in 1946. Think about that kind of thinking in this day and age, finding purpose in your suffering. That 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 doesn't come up at dinner conversations anymore, does it? No. Finding purpose. And so I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. I think that's why I do the therapy work I do, because I believe in your pain and suffering. You can find purpose if you can endure it and find a way to, to get through it, as opposed to trying to take this other way out where you lose touch with yourself, you lose touch with your abilities, your resources. I don't think that's a good thing. But I'm glad that books like this exist, and I'm glad that a guy like this back in 1946 could say, forget all this other therapeutic psychoanalytic crap. What is your purpose in life? Um, I, I, I woke up today so excited to do this podcast with you both. That's purpose. It's like, wow, I have purpose today. I'm going to record one later with my guest tonight at 530. Wow, that's purpose. This to me is better than any antidepressant you could ever give me because it gives me purpose and meaning. We get to share an experience. I get fired up, obviously, and, and that's good for my mental health. So I know this works if, if people are willing to try it. I love it. I just love it so much. Oh my gosh. Um, makes me so happy when humans are connecting. Right. And I feel like that's what we're doing right now is that we're connecting on such an intense, uh, topic, mental health Completely. and finding support. Um, it could, it could get really dark. I like to take things and I go dark, you go dark. 
Tamar's over there flitting around. It's in her happy place, which, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's like, we, we have to bring, you know, that laughter back. We have to bring ourselves, you know, into this new paradigm of self-preservation. Boom. Bring it back to the self-preservation. Thank, thank you for that, for that term <laughs> that, that, that will not leave me. Yeah. It's yeah. really, really yeah. important. So if you've hung out with us for this long and you've listened to the entire show, I just want to say thank you for listening. And I, you know, I dare you to go listen to the dark side of therapy podcast. Eric is doing some really great work. Uh, let us know what you think. Leave a comment, you know, just hang out with us some more. We're here for you 100%. Tomorrow, you have anything else? No, this has been just a blast. Thank you, Eric. Um, thank I you love guys. what you do. And I love that, you know, we can all laugh. You know, yeah. we could spend some time mm-hmm. having good conversation and laughing because I know that my cup is pretty full right now. Yeah. My, mine is too. I mean, we, we might as well be having a glass of wine sitting down somewhere on the San Francisco Bay, right? But it was just, yeah, I, no I appreciate there. so much. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. You can catch myself. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll have water. That's fine. I want the view anyway. But um, you both are so welcoming and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just very meaningful for me. I appreciate so much. Uh, you guys letting me come on and and uh, and talk with you is awesome. Thanks for being here, Eric. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Laughing Without Liquor. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Living in recovery can be a blast, and we are glad you're laughing without the liquor with us. We hope you'll join us again in the next episode. Until then, take care.